Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we just pray for your continual guidance and uh, for our hearts to be teachable, that we may hear your voice and we may be able to learn particularly what you're trying to teach us individually. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so I left off on there. Now, another uh, opportunity we have for building was the building of a tree house. And let me tell you this um, testimony. I, when you try to do, um, when you're trying to do tree education, there's so many things involved. Sometimes you feel like, how do I do this, right? And, but if you move forward to do what you can with what you have, the Lord all of a sudden starts sending people. So one day I'm at the school, this gentleman, he came to volunteer at Wildwood, he's a doctor. And he was not there very long, and one day, he liked to exercise a lot. Not very many people make it to the elementary school site, because it's on the other side of the campus. Uh, but he was there, walking, and made it there, and we got to talking. And I don't know exactly how the conversation went, and why I mentioned the fact that the children wanted a treehouse. And so he said, never did I expect this of a doctor. Oh, I can build stuff. I can work on that project with the kids because I told them they wanted that and I had been looking for someone who could lead that project. Um, and our maintenance department was just really overwhelmed with work so they couldn't do it. So he volunteered himself. The Lord just sent him there. I didn't even look for him. And so there he came and what he did at first, he came to the uh, school and he started working on the plans. And so he taught them um, why he did what you do and how you decide the, the, the um, materials that you use and all the math that's involved in uh, determining how big um, of a house to make and where the door needs to be, where the, the, the windows need to be, everything. They were part of the whole project. Now, unfortunately, he, had to, he ended up leaving what was sooner than he expected, and he was actually not part of the project of building. But once the plans were made, the kids' heart was up, and the maintenance department felt bad and decided to give us some help. And so they did come, and they worked with the children, and they built all the walls on the ground so that the children could be part of that. And they were part of every aspect of it except to put the walls up there because um, that was a bit dangerous. Um, but they, they were part of this project, and this, this is now a building that is part of our school, and they were able to build it. I, you know, so a lot of times you, you will think, well, how do you do all these things? But if you uh, do what you can with what you have, the Lord will provide. And that doesn't mean that you have to do all these things, but like I said, if you follow the principles, do what you have, you will be in the right track, and the Lord will provide people who will help you. Um, to do other things. There's other practical skills that are not necessarily mentioned um, at other, other classes and, and uh, practical skills that are not necessarily mentioned in, in the Inspire writings, but the idea, the principle is that they learn things that are useful. And so you look around in your community and where you are, what would be useful, and give them those opportunities. Because we are on a campus that has so many things, we made our whole campus our school. So we took the kids to the herb shop where they sell all the herbs and Vitamix and vitamins and things and they worked there once a week for an hour and they would go and help with organizing, the th taking things out of the boxes that were shipped in there and putting prices on them and putting them on the shelves. Um, they also worked in the back, putting the herbs in the little bags, and they were supposed to put a certain weight there, so they were using math as well for that. They had to put precisely how much it needed to be, and they had to be very careful with these things because we were selling it to the public, so they couldn't leave the bag all full of dust everywhere. They had to be very clean and neat about it, and they uh, really enjoyed doing that. We also took them to the helpful store where they helped out in many different ways. Uh, in the sock room, in the room where they bag the seeds and nuts and um, all the things that they sell there. They also work in the cash register. Now, if you've been to the Wobble Helpful store, you know it does not look like this anymore. This was uh, my second year teaching there, and they have remodeled the whole place, and it looks totally different. But this girl was so excited because she got to run the registrar that day. 
and uh, and for some reason these this pricing machine gun is just like the funnest thing for these kids to do so they truly enjoyed it now the little ones I take them there periodically they don't have an assigned time when they go um, but the the older class goes there weekly and they work for an hour and so they are like workers and they wear an ID and they um, go around and, I, and they are taught that if you see someone that looks like they need help, ask and most likely ask if they need help and most likely you're not going to know but you can lead them to someone who knows and so they are there and they need to be paying attention so that they can be a witness to the people who come into the store. They really enjoy that. Another opportunity that we have is uh, to help out in our laundry department. This is where they take care of all the laundry that's used at the Lifestyle Center. Now, if you know anything about hydrotherapy, there's a lot of laundry that's made with that. So they go there, they help with um, putting in the washer, taking out the washer into the dryer, and then pulling it into the room where it's folded, and then they have to sort it to what uh, belongs to the men's hydro department, ladies' hydro department, and what goes for the guest rooms as well and so they also went there once a week the older students and work there this is them folding and sorting the laundry we try to do some industries as well things that they can make and sell for funds for our school and of course everything we make has a purpose um, and this is one thing that we learned in our uh, health class at uh, the a loss of health and the one about air you know, we, need, we teach about pure air, and a lot of times we think it's just go outside and breathe pure air, but the air inside our homes needs to be pure air as well. So we taught them how important it is to make sure that we are not polluting the air inside our homes with all the chemicals. And unfortunately, nowadays, everything is chemicals, and it smells so good, we don't realize that it's poison. And so our candles are full of very dangerous chemicals. And so we burn it in our home and it smells so good. And it makes it feel like pure air, but it's not pure. So we taught them how to make candles out of soy and using essential oils instead of chemically, uh, chemical fragrances. And we made them. They each get to keep one. And then they, the rest, they all had to make two. We always teach them, you know, that it's not just about themselves. We need to share. So they made two. Uh, sometimes, depending on what it was for the candles we made two, um, and they made multiple ones. They get to keep one, but the rest is to give back to the school because the school is there teaching them. So we sell them to provide for the school to continue running. And so they know they're part of every aspect of the school, not just cleaning it, but also providing even funds for it. And uh, here, we were learning how to make lip balms. Uh, which uh, again, the, the, these lip balms many times have chemicals and preservatives. This was very simple. We used coconut oil, shea butter, um, beeswax, and then peppermint oil. And we sold these two. And I bought some and gave it as gifts at Christmas that year. And my mom loved it. And she was so excited. She's like, I need to buy more from the kids. And she did buy three more. Because of the peppermint, when you put it in, it, it just feels really nice. Uh, and a lot of people love it, it's, and it's very, very um, refreshing and definitely moisturizing as well. Another um, um, area of study that all our schools should have is physiology. We are told in uh, CH. I can't remember what book that is right now. CH38, if it comes to mind, that will. Uh, Council on Health, that's what it is. And it says a practical knowledge of the science of human life is necessary in order to glorify God in our bodies. It is therefore of the highest importance that among the studies selected for childhood, physiolo physiology should occupy the first place. Okay, so we teach our children from very young physiology uh, to the uh, extent that they can learn it. We teach them about our body, their bodies, and you know one year we did this uh, class where they trace their, their body in a piece of paper, and then we were learning about different organs, and we drew the organ, we colored the organ, we put it there, and around the organ we uh, glued pictures of foods that are uh, helpful for that organ, right? And of course, you find that many of them are the foods as God made them. 
not the processed foods that we make, right? So it was the fruits, the vegetables, the grains, the nuts. And so they were learning, you know, how to keep their body working properly. Um, they were, we learned about the skeleton as well. Here in Education 195, it says, since the mind and the soul find expression through the body, both mental and spiritual vigor are in great degree dependent upon physical strength and activity. Whatever promotes physical health promotes the development of a strong mind and a well-balanced character. Without health, no one can as distinctly understand or as completely fulfill his obligation to himself, to his fellow beings, or to his creator. Therefore, the health should be as faithfully guarded as the character. A knowledge of physiology and hygiene should be the basis of all educational efforts. Right? So teaching them physiology, not just from the point of the parts of our bodies and how they work, but how the health that goes with it, how to keep the body working properly is essential because the connection that is between the physical and the spiritual. All right, and like I said before, everything God has given us is for our spiritual growth, everything. Nothing is unessential that God has given. So here you see uh, the body a little bit more in the skeleton, then we put the organs on, on top of that skeleton. The upper grace class was learning the different parts of the body and how they all work. And what they did is after they learned it, they had our students, that these are the younger ones, they came in and they taught them what they learned. And we did this a lot, a lot where we had the older ones and sometimes even the younger ones go to the older class and teach them what they learned. When children have to learn something to teach it, it, it really uh, make, it's more meaningful to them and they learn it better. Right? And so here they, uh, they have little stickers all over their body with the different parts. They're talking to the kids about the different parts. Uh, this student was teaching about the ear and he has in there water in a bottle and he's showing how um, it moves in the part of the inner ear. ear. So they're uh, showing very practical things to them. He's talking about the mouth and this other student, this is still the ear and the balance that goes with that. This is about the eyes. And here they're showing how the light uh, changes the pupils. So they were able to listen and also see and practice. Uh, so it was very meaningful to them, especially because they are being taught by their peers. This, they enjoy going to the upper grade class and being taught by their older students. Another subject of study in um, true education is medical missionary work. In Adventist home page 489, it says here, in our church schools, children are to be instructed in the special truths for this time and in practical missionary work. They are to enlist in the army of workers to help the sick and the suffering. Children can take part in the medical missionary work and by their jots and tittles can help to carry it forward. By them, God's message will be made known and his saving health to all nations. And so we teach them uh, different simple remedies. Here we're doing a hydro treatment. Now when I did this class, I remember back in, 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 um, in public schools, we were supposed to teach the children about cold and hot. And I don't know why, but it didn't hit until I taught this class that we were teaching that from paper. And so they had these pictures and they had to choose what was cold, what was hot, but they never really touched cold and hot. And so when I did this class, I was like, no, this is practical way of learning cold and hot. So what we did with this is they had, we had a bowl of ice water and they had to bring from home two pairs of socks. One was supposed to be a thinner pair and the other one a more thicker pair. So the thinner pair, we put it in the ice cold water and we put it in their feet. And then we put a plastic bag and then we put the thick uh, sock. And even though it begins with very cold, it ends up being very hot. And so this activates circulation in the body, which increases, um, stimulates the, the immune system. So when you're getting sick, you do this very simple remedy that you can do on yourself. And that's why I taught them that one, because it's one they can do on themselves and they can easily do in someone else. Um, and, but when they, we first started the treatment, the kids were very doubtful, like how in the world are we gonna put freezing cold, uh, on our feet and it's gonna be hot. And I was like, well, let's just try it. If you don't get hot, you can take it off, right? So at first they were like, oh, this is so cold. But very soon it was like, oh, it is hot. 
And so here they have a very real practical way of learning hot and cold. And, um, and now they are able to use it. And you know, even though I learned a lot of hydrotherapy treatments from the Wildwood School, the, the training there, this treatment, I didn't learn it from them. This treatment, I learned it from my niece. I was in my niece's house. I have three sisters, and uh, one of them is an Adventist. This is uh, the mother of my, my niece. I have two, she has two little girls, and the other two are not. And my youngest sister, who's a doctor and not an Adventist, was visiting, and we were all there, and she was saying, oh, I'm, I'm coming down with a cold. So my niece says, oh, titi, I have, that's how we call auntie in Spanish, titi, I have something for you. I'm going to do a treatment. And so here's this this young girl is going to treat the doctor, mm -hmm. okay? So she goes, and of course, I mean, auntie's gonna let her do whatever she wants because she's a cute little girl and she's her niece. But you know, she's not really trusting this thing. So she sits in there and my niece goes and does the whole treatment. And of course she does feel the hot and everything. And then she says, Titi, now you have to lay down and rest. And so she did, and in a couple of hours, I mean, she was not laying down a couple of hours, just a few minutes, but in a couple of hours she was like, and that treatment really helped. I'm already feeling better. And that was a witness for her. And I was like, wow, that's such a simple treatment. How come I never knew that treatment? Because I've done a similar treatment, but not with the socks. And, but she did it with the socks, very simple. A treatment that a child can do and that can astonish even a medical doctor. Um, and so we need to teach our children simple things that they can use. Uh, this lady, she used to be in charge of our herb uh, shop and she would come from time to time and teach them different natural remedies. And they got to try them out. They didn't always like them, um, but uh, it gave them an opportunity to know how to treat disease. Here we're making char charcoal poultices and as you can see, they're having a lot of fun. So we had to make it and then they had to apply it on each other. So they have to work on putting it in another person. And they didn't have anything in their hand, but it was a, a way to try it out. Which, uh, considering how messy charcoal is, we actually did very well. Uh, we didn't make as big a mess. Later on, we had this lady who lives on the, um, the basement of our elementary school. She does a more, um, professional poultice, and uh, so she was going to make one for herself because she had sprained her ankle and it was swollen you can see so she came upstairs and she said you know I have to make this thing for myself do you mind if the kids uh, come and uh, and watch me do it and I said oh we would love to and so we went down and she has all these little things how she makes it very neat uh, and but the best part is that they got to see the before and after because she put it on herself and then a couple of days later she came up to the school and showed us how it was. So they got to see, I mean, before they had practice on themselves but they didn't have anything to see a result. So they got to see the results. And later on the, the upper graders teacher taught the kids, okay, now I want you to teach these things that you're learning. So part of their uh, afternoon class, which all afternoon class for the older students are practical skills, they had to make a video where they were teaching these natural remedies. And so they worked in pairs and one was doing the natural remedy, the other one was recording it. And she actually has posted this, of course, with the permission of the parents and a YouTube channel. And so she, uh, the, the one was doing, going through the whole thing. It's a lot different to learn it and do it for yourself and then, than to present it. So they really had to know it well. And it helped them to use language in a, in a meaningful way uh, to learn how to present information. And they really enjoyed doing this. And he's doing, again, the charcoal poultice, but now he's the one teaching it. We're blessed enough to be in a health institution, so we have many people that can come. This was uh, the director, um, the instructor for um, massage to the medical missionary students, and so he would come to our elementary school and also teach our students uh, massage. Of course, he didn't do the whole thing that he does with the adults, but the ones that they as children could learn. And uh, this is... Uh, one of our ladies in our campus, she helps out in different areas here and there, but mainly she raises her children. But she came to her school several times, also did some uh, natural remedies um, using uh, foods, 
Uh, the other lady would use more herbs and she would use the garlic, the onions, and uh, so they got to see it done. Then they had to make it and then they had to treat each other um, with those. Okay, another part uh, that we need to involve in our schools is canvassing. And a lot of times we think children cannot do some of these things, but to a certain extent, they can do most everything that the older students can. And so when I saw this quote, I decided our children need to um, do this. This is in, um, hmm, let me see. No, that one doesn't say. Uh, PM Publishing Ministry, I think it is. Um, page 363. And it says, God desired that the sale of Christ subject lessons shall be recognized by all people as His method of relieving our schools from debt. It is because this plan has been neglected that we now feel so keenly our lack of means for the advancing work. Had the schools availed themselves of the provision thus made for them, there would be more money in the school treasuries and more money in the hands of God's servants with which to relieve the necessities of other needy departments of the cost. And best of all, teachers and students would have received the very lessons that they needed to learn in the master's service. And a lot of times we don't use canvassing because we want to find an easier way to make money. And canvassing is not easy. Uh, and it doesn't bring, bring a lot of money, right? Uh, but it brings money and, it, and it brings character, right? Not just to the students, but it says teachers and students would have received the very lessons that they, they needed. So it's very, very um, special for the children to take part of this. Now, when I started this, now I have little, little children. And when you see a canvas, it's very complex. So I started thinking, okay, how can I make these canvases simpler? So we started with just two books. And uh, because she mentions uh, specifically uh, here, Christ Object Lessons, we made that one of the books. And, uh, and we tried to have one health book, one spiritual book and one health book. Um, and we did different books different times. So we started with these two and we just simply taught them to teach. You have to share three things. The title, what's the book about, and the cost. So we kept the what's the book about very simple. Uh, and they at first would stand there and sometimes they would freeze and not say anything. They just smile and the other one was like, come on, say I don't know what to say. <laughs> and some of the people were really nice and tried to help them calm down. Uh, but as they did it more, they got more free. And uh, we had a lot of people that commented how impressed they were. And many of the people that come to our health food store are not Avenants, right? And so they were very impressed. And we had one lady, she was so impressed. And not only did she buy the books, but she came and she says, I want to give more. And so she gave us $200 just because she saw what our school is doing for the children. And she's not even an Adventist, just to see a school that's helping children to be this useful. You know, she was very impressed at this. And so here you see the children would go also to the people who are driving by and try to sell the books to them. They didn't miss the farm manager. So he drove in his backhoe. He went, they went over there as well, and they sold them a book. Now, serving others is an important part of character building that we, they need to learn in our schools. And by the way, character building, it's the most important lesson that they're learning. And in all the classes, whether it's math, whether it's reading, whether, and especially in the manual classes, they can learn a lot of character building. We need to focus on this area. Because as we saw on the, second, um, on the first presentation, uh, the purpose of education is truly for salvation. And, and so developing the character is important. So here and, well, I don't know why I didn't put uh, these um, names of books, CHS 206. Christian service? Christian service, yeah. The children should be so educated that they will sympathize with the aged and afflicted and will seek to alleviate their sufferings of the poor and distressed. They should be taught to be diligent in missionary work. And from the earliest years, self-denial and sacrifice for the good of others and the advancement of Christ's cause should be inculcated 
that they may be laborers together with God. Now, usually, children don't tend to, you know, nowadays especially, children don't want to be around adults, especially not around aged people. Um, and, but in the Bible times, they were always with, with the older ones. They were always together. Now we separate by age. And, and the children don't see the value anymore on being around those who are older and more experienced. But we need to bring them back to them and recognize they gave their lives to serve others. And now we need to help them because they're not able to do a lot of things. When they, uh, in this picture right here, we went to an apartment of one of our elderly uh, people in our campus. Uh, she actually was a teacher and worked at our school for many years and now she's retired and and I visit her quite often and one day she was telling me how she can't see very well so now it's so hard for her to clean her house because she she can't tell if it's clean or not and so we decided as a school to go and clean her house and so the children here are cleaning her apartment for her and then afterwards she told them uh, some stories of her experiences when she was a teacher and the things that her children did for other people as well. And here we are visiting another one of our elderly. She actually passed, out or, uh, passed away already. Now she lived with her daughter and son-in-law, so she was taken care of, uh, but they all need some joy and companionship, and so we went just to sing to her. Um, uh, Older people love the, the voice of children singing. And so we, we um, try to do that quite often around the campus. This is another one of our elderly, another man that has passed away uh, now, but he loves gardening. He loved gardening. And, um, but he was getting to a point where he couldn't do very much. And so one day we offered to come help him and he was so excited because there were so many things he couldn't he wanted to do and were kind of unkept because he couldn't keep up with it. So we started going and actually went a couple of times to help him in his garden. And this is how in the community, this couple that you see in the middle there, this uh, elderly couple, they're Baptists and they live in our community. A friend of mine and I have made contact with them and we visited them. And uh, you know, I shared with them that I was a teacher at the elementary school and they love music. So I asked them, would you like to have the children at the elementary school come sing for, for you? And she was like, yes. And so we went, and the ones that knew how to play an instrument played, and we sang, and they were so blessed. They really loved it. We had invited them, so several programs in our church, and they have never come. After the children went there, the next time we invited to the program, they went. Right? And so we need to teach our children to go and serve, not just the community, not the school, but the church. So here the children are actually leading out in Sabbath school, and it is not on uh, 13th Sabbath. It's just a regular Sabbath school, and they took part in everything. They led the song service, they read the scripture, the mission story, everything. Um, and we teach them right behavior in the house of God as well. Um, Oh, what happened? Oh no. Sorry, my, my computer somehow got disconnected from the source of power and I have a very old computer. <laughs> so anyways, well, this comes back because it's going to take a little bit. Uh, that picture there in the Lifestyle Center, we would take the children there. They have a session of two weeks where people come and uh, they're there because they have different lifestyle issues. And during those two weeks, they learned right habits of eating and exercise and all the eight loss of health and the spirituality especially. Um, and so what we did in every one of those sessions, we would bring the children. In our class, we would make different uh, art projects for them. Uh, so they, they, uh, we make something that had some sort of a verse uh, or promise, you know, that would encourage them. And we would pray at the elementary school for these people, and then we would go there and have a musical program. And I'm not a musically talented person, I'm not a choir director, so I never really had a choir uh, thing. We just sang for worship. And so whenever we went to these places to sing, we were singing the worship songs we're singing at worship time. So when I went there, I told them, we're not doing a performance, we're just sharing worship with you. And, um, and the children 
would, and we would go there and they would sing to them when they were done, then they would go and walk to them and give them the gifts that they had made for them. And one time we had a lady that she came to the program and then she came back a year or two later and she especially called elementary school and said, I want the children, are the children coming? Because I want to see them. And I said, yes, we're coming such and such a date. And when we went there, she had the craft that she had received when she was there. And she told the children how much it meant to her and how much that promise had encouraged her when she had gone home. And that she, more than anything, coming back was looking forward to seeing the children again. And that was very meaningful to them to see how they can plant seeds of joy and peace in the hearts of people when they share the word of God with them. And one day there was a lady, which is the one that you're gonna see in the picture once I get this back up, uh, that was there because of depression. And she got really discouraged at times. And so they called us and they said, could you come, because we would come at the end of the program, could you come to this lady's room and sing for her? And we did. And, oh, no, this is not the one. Um, and we did. And she was so, I mean, her whole face was different when we ended. And the whole time that I saw her there after that was always very cheerful. So it really ministered to her heart what the children did going there to sing. Okay, let me find my place again. Uh, sorry about that. Okay, so this is, hold on. Okay, this is the lady I just told you about. So this is her room. We just went to her room in the Lysol um, Center and we sang to the, her and spent some time with her. We also visited the sick and here is Pastor Cook. Um, and he was sick and had been really, his health was really struggling. He was becoming a bit discouraged because he couldn't do the things he usually did. Uh, so we went to sing to him um, as well to encourage him. And in serving others, uh, we learned to use this uh, self-denial box. And I got that from Child Guidance, page 132. And it says, children are to be educated to deny themselves. At one time, when I was speaking in Nashville, the Lord gave me light on this matter. It flashed upon me with great force that in every home, there should be a self-denial box and that into this box, the children should be taught to put their pennies they would otherwise spend for candy and other unnecessary things. And so since our school, is, we run it like a home, we decided, well, we need to have a self-denial box. And um, it's not really a box, it's more round than anything, but this is actually an oatmeal container. And so one day I, told, I shared with them that quote, and I gave them examples, you know, sometimes you might get some money to go buy ice cream, and you might think, well, you know, I don't really need the ice cream. Maybe I'll give, I will deny, that's what denying is, not giving what you have left, it's giving us something you want to help someone else. And so we usually have someone in mind that they would be given to, so that they would think of that person when they're giving up what they have. So this year, uh, the first year that we did this, there was a, um, one of his, their teachers that was teaching them revelation from uh, a Bible class. He actually has cancer, and he was going uh, to have a treatment in a health institution that specializes in that. So he was receiving treatments uh, with us, but there it would be a little bit more intense, natural remedies, but nonetheless more specified for people with his condition. But he's been a missionary for many years, so he didn't have the money. And I just told the kids, you know, um, that he's going there and he doesn't have the money. What do you think if we give the money from the self-denial box for him? And they were, of course, they loved their Bible teacher, so they were like, yes. And then some of the girls were like, but um, because we, he was leaving on that Friday, and, uh, and they were like, but can we still bring more money? And I, and I said, sure, of course, you have until Friday. Um, so that day, I, I, when school was over and they were getting their backpacks, two of the students were in the hallway and they were talking to each other and one of them was like, I've been saving this money to buy, I don't remember what it was, but it was something that they had saved for a long time. And, and she said, you know, 
I'm going to give it to the self-denial box so that Mr. Robert can have it for his treatment. And the other girl was like, yeah, I've been saving for a watch. I'm going to give, do you know how long it takes these little ones? Because the parents are not just giving them money for things. They're making them earn their money. And for them to make that decision, I mean, I was in tears when I heard that. Um, and of course, so was him when he found out how the money was collected. And granted, all we had in there, I mean, all we have, it was a lot of money for children. We had about 70 something dollars that they had collected um, to help him. And that was n nothing compared to what he had to pay, but the Lord provided the rest. But they had a part in providing for his treatment. And that is important that they see opportunities to deny, to give others. And like I mentioned, character development is the most essential part of our education and the reason why we exist. Um, so I'm just going to share a few quotes of character development. Child guidance, page 82. It says, one of the first lessons a child needs to learn is the lessons, lesson of obedience. Before he's old enough to reason, he may be taught to obey. If the child does not learn how to obey his parents and the authorities that are before them, they will not obey God. So parents that let their children disobey them are teaching them to disobey God because the, the parents stand in the place of God until they are old enough to understand who God is. And so this is, obedience is a very important lesson and we don't recognize how much it affects their experience with God. Councils to Parents, Teachers, and Students, page 23 says, Children are not to be allowed to think that everything in the house is their plaything, to do with as they please. Instruction in this line should be given e even to the smallest children. By correcting this habit, you will destroy it. God designs that the perversities natural to childhood shall be rooted out before they become habits. So a lot of times we think, oh, they're just children. We'll fix it later. But later it's already become a habit and need. it's not impossible, but it will be very hard and sometimes near to impossible. So when they're little children, they can learn that no, not everything in the house is for you to play with. And they need to um, understand this because also we create very selfish individuals when we think that they can do whatever they want with anything around them. In the same book, uh, and 123 continues, mothers should guard against training their children to be dependent and self-absorbed. Never give them cause to think that they are the center and, the e and that everything must revolve around them. Now when they get teenagers and we're like, why do they think that the world revolves around them? Because we taught them that when they were little. <clears throat> Continues, some parents give much time and attention to amusing their children, but children should be trained to amuse themselves, to exercise their own ingenuity and skill. Thus, they will learn to be content with simple pleasures. They should be taught to bear bravely their little disappointments and trials. Instead of calling attention to every trifling pain or hurt, divert their minds. Teach them to pass lightly over little annoyances and discomforts. Now, this is not to say that you should not um, put time aside to really do some things with your children. But this is not to go to the other extent where parents are like always interrupting what they're doing to attend to whatever they want and are trying to find so many ways to entertain them. And then it, it creates in them a desire for entertainment all the time. But if we let them learn to amuse themselves, then they will be content with simple pleasures. And, uh, and then again, you know, to not rescue them from their difficulties, but to learn to grow through them. Now, of course, all these things are important, but we are not to leave the other things as math. And so arithmetic and accounts is part of uh, true education training as well. In education, page 239, it says, In the study of figures, the work should be made practical. Let every youth and every child be taught not merely to solve imaginary problems, but to keep an, account, an accurate account of his own income and outgoes. Let him learn the right use of money by using it. Whether supplied by their parents or by their own earnings, let boys and girls learn to select and purchase their own clothing their books, and other necessities. And by keeping an account of their expenses, they will learn as they could learn in no other way the value and the use of money.
right? We usually try to teach the value and use of money from textbooks, but this is the most practical way. In our school, our first grade uh, teacher had a whole economy system in her class. The children were earning money by the hours they work at school, uh, and they were duck money if they came late to school, uh, if they didn't have their work done, um, and they had to pay rent for their desk. They had to pay an electric bill because there's electricity in the school. And, but they, she had a store, and at the beginning when they started getting their money, they started spending it in the store, and when it was time to pay their rent, they didn't have money. So one day I went to the playground and I see one of the kids with their backpack. And I said, oh, why did you bring your backpack to, to recess? And he's like, I'm homeless. So what do you mean you're homeless? He's like, well, I didn't have money to pay my rent and I got evicted. So when he got to school that morning, he had an eviction note in his desk. And so he had to carry his stuff with him the whole school day. And he had to do that until he was able to pay his rent. Now, did he learn the lesson? Oh, yes, he did. Never again did he spend all his money without paying his bills first, right? And so make it as practical as possible. This is a very important thing about education. Whatever you're teaching, if it's not practical, it's not useful, they don't need it. There's a lot of knowledge that we never use and it's a waste of time. And so teach them things that they can use and make it practical. History and prophecy, and this is definitely uh, one that can be made very practical. Uh, in Testimonies, Volume 5, page 525, it says, prophecy and history should, be, should form a part of the studies in our schools. Education 238. As with language, so with every other study. It may be so conducted that it will tend to the strengthening and upbuilding of character. Of no study is this true to a greater degree than of history. Let it be considered from the divine point of view. So when we're teaching history, we cannot teach it like the world teaches it. We need to teach them the hand of God in everything that is happening. We te need to teach them uh, cause to effect. Why did this happen? Why are wars? Because of the selfishness of man. You know, when we learned about the, the trail of tears, we had, to, we had to bring the principles of heaven into that and teach the children. You know why these people were thrown out? Because people were so selfish that they wanted more for themselves. So then they were moved out of their land so that they can have more land. That's what selfishness leads to. Because they first saw all that they went, all the people that die in that process. And you're like, oh, so sad. Why would they do that? But you know, we would do the same thing because we have selfishness in our hearts. So if we don't correct that, we would end up doing that. So they need to see these principles being played out. And they need to understand uh, the principles of heaven, everything that happened in the hand of God, especially in history. Education 238, as too often taught, history is little more than a record of the rise and fall of kings. The, that, the intrigues of courts, the victories and defeats of armies, a story of ambition and greed, of deception, cruelty, and bloodshed. Thus taught, its results cannot, be, cannot but be detrimental. The heart-sickening radiation of crimes and atrocities, the enormities, the cruelties portrayed, plant seeds that in many lives bring forth fruit in a harvest of evil. And it continues, far better it is, is it to learn in the light of God's word the causes that govern the rise and fall of kingdoms. Let the youth study these records and see how the true prosperity of nations has been bound up with an acceptance of the divine principles. Let him study the history of the great reformatory movements and see how often these principles, though despised and hated, their advocates brought to the dungeon and the scaffold have through these very sacrifices triumphed, right? So it needs to be very practical, true value behind, not just uh, history as we teach it normally. Geography and missions. Uh, so when we teach geography, we need to link it to something that's valuable. <clears throat> and so what we do, we try to help the children understand us, uh, children of God, our job is to bring the gospel to the world. So what's the world? Let's learn about the world and the people that are there. <clears throat> Education page 269 says, it is acquaintance that awakens sympathy 
and sympathy is the spring of effective ministry. To awaken in the children a new sympathy and the spirit of sacrifice for the suffering millions in the regions beyond, let them become acquainted with these lands and their peoples. In this line, much might be accomplished in our schools. Instead of dwelling on the exploits of the Alexanders and Napoleons of history, let the pupils study the lives of such men as the Apostle Paul and Martin Luther, as Moffat and Livingstone and Carey, and the present daily unfolding history of missionary effort. Instead of burdening their memories with an array of names and theories that have no bearing upon their lives and to which once outside the schoolroom they rarely give a thought, let them study all lands in the light of missionary effort and become acquainted with the peoples and their needs. So what we do when we teach geography, usually each year there's certain countries we need to cover. We talked about those people, their customs, especially their religious beliefs. And one thing I teach the children is God created us as humans after his image. Because of sin, we have, the image of God has been uh, destroyed in us. But each human being, the, the, regardless of culture has something still of the image of God. And so we look at the different cultures and we look at the good things of the culture and we look at the bad things of the culture. Why? Because they need to understand when we become Christians, now we have a different culture. Now we're citizens of heaven and we need to look at our own culture and determine what is the image of God in that culture and retain that and what it, which is not, let it go. But also we teach them, especially the countries that are not Christian countries, how they're deceived to believe these, you know, different things. And, uh, and, you know, it's interesting because a lot of times they don't understand how hopeless and how empty the lives of these uh, people who believe in all the gods is because their gods are not loving gods that want to interact with them. Their gods are only uh, ordering them to do things and if they don't do them, they get in trouble. But they can't pray to their gods and talk to them about what they need, right? And so we, we talked about all these things so that they learn, and they learn the need on that country and how God is expecting us to minister to them because they're brothers or sisters. So this last year, we were learning about Africa, and one of the countries we were learning about was Congo. And I have friends that are in Congo. They started a true education school there. And we decided as a school to use our self-denial box money to send it to these students. So we were learning about Congo, we learned about other countries and the mission ministries that are there, the people are there, we also mentioned the ministries. So I told them about this school and I said, these children, they're not Christians and they come and they're learning the things that you're learning. How special that they can have that. But they're in a country where they're very poor and many of them have nothing to bring to school. You bring all your pretty crayons and markers and all these things, but they don't have those things because they can't afford them. So, so you can give up something so that they can have something that for you is like normal. You have it all the time. For them, it will be like, wow. And so that's what we did that year. And my friend sent me this picture <clears throat> of the things that they bought with the money that we sent. And of course, they have these little uh, signs and in the language, uh, in, in English as well, thanking us while we're elementary school. These are some books that they uh, bought. This little girl, she's holding coloring pencils. Now that, it's like an amazing thing for them. Our children take it for granted. But for them, it was, wow, they have coloring pencils. And they also bought this animal with that money because they needed it for their agricultural program. And they uh, had a breakfast for the children, many of these children can afford to have a very nutritious breakfast, all with the money that we send. So the children got to see how their money was used in another part of the world. That this is a real way of understanding other people's, their needs, and to, be, uh, and to learn to be more grateful for what you have. Because what, you were complaining about your mommy and daddy because you don't have this toy. These kids don't even have shoes. You know, and their school, I didn't have pictures here, but I showed it to the children when we talked about Congo. Didn't even have floor, it's dirt floor. They go to a dirt floor, no AC, no heating, and they sit there um, and with very simple things, and they love it because they are getting an education. Many children in this country can't even afford to go to school, right? And this education is given to them free because they wouldn't be able to pay anyways. So how important to include that. Another topic that we're told, <clears throat> another subject of study is singing. Um, 
And in education page 168, it says, the value of song as a means of education should never be lost sight of. Let there be singing in the home of songs that are sweet and pure, and there will be fewer words of censure and more of cheerfulness and hope and joy. Let there be singing in the school, and the pupils will be drawn closer to God, to their teachers, and to one another. You know, when we uh, do music class, which we don't have a music teacher, so I teach music class, and I don't know how to play instruments, so we just sing. Uh, and what we do, I share with them the life of Jesus and how he used thinking when he was working in the workshop and uh, when he was sharing with the, when, uh, when he was uh, sharing with the people and the people around them were cheered by hearing his singing. They were encouraged by it and so I encourage the children to do that. And we're told also when we, when darkness uh, is over us and we're discouraged that we start singing, it will lift our spirits up. So singing is a very um, precious gift that we can all have. Not all of us can play a piano and a violin, but singing is one that we can all have, and it's the one that God tells us children should, should be taught, right? Another thing I do with singing is before we start learning a song, we learn the words of the song and the meaning of the song. And I teach them about the song of Moses and that we are told that in the end times, we're going to learn a song that no one else is going to be able to sing. Why? The song of Moses was their experience. In heaven, you don't sing words you memorize. It is your experience. You can't fake it because nothing fake exists in heaven. So we have to learn the words and we have to ask God to help us to, to live this word so that we are singing something that is true in our hearts. And I told them always, when you sing, you have to do your best, but it's not how well you sing that touches God's heart. It's that what's in your heart when you sing. If you mean it, and if it's pure in your heart, it will bring joy to the heart of heaven, even if you, don't, if you sing out of tune. Right now, of course, we have to do our best. And so now, just as important as it is to learn what should be part of true education is to learn what should not be part. And I'm not going to go over a lot. I'm just going to mention two things because I have seen them to be the most destructive in schools. And it tends to be part of our school systems a lot, including our uh, Avenue schools. One of them is the reading of fiction. Uh, this here sees councils to the church page 170 it says those whose imagination has not become perverted by reading of fiction will find the Bible the most interesting of books so the reason why our youth are bored by reading the Bible and the writings of Ellen G.Y. is because their minds have been fed fiction and now they have created a, a craving for unnatural excitement and things that are not true. Now, the problem is many times we think that we can separate one thing from another. But when we teach and we let children be entertained with things that are not true, we're teaching them a lie. That's exactly what we're doing. And they need to learn that lies are not safe in any way. Um, I encourage you to read uh, the chapter, chapter 37 in Ministry of Healing. It's called The False and the True in Education. And it goes more in detail about the dangers of fiction reading uh, for our children and youth. The other one is competition. In Philippians 2.3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, when we're competing with one another, we're trying to be better. I want to be faster. I want to be quicker. I want to, and I'm trying to get you out of the way so I can have the goal. But this is not the spirit of heaven. And so if we look at the principles of heaven, we know it doesn't fit there. Here, this quote. Um, okay, this is Desire of Ages page 435 and it says the Savior gathered his disciples about him and said to them if any man desires to be first the same shall be last of all and servant of all Lucifer has said 
I will be like the Most High. And the desire for self-exaltation have brought strife into the heavenly courts and have banished a multitude of the hosts of God. Continues, he sought for himself the highest place and every being who is actuated by his spirit will do the same. Thus alienation, discord, and strife will be inevitable. Dominion becomes the prize of the strongest. The kingdom of Satan is a kingdom of force. Every individual regards every other as an obstacle. It's not this what competition is about. You're my obstacle in the way of his own advancement or a stepping stone on which he himself may climb to a higher place. <clears throat> Very tenderly, yet with solemn emphasis, Jesus tried to correct the evil. He showed what is the principle that bears sway in the kingdom of heaven and in what true greatness consists, and estimated, as estimated by the standard of the courts above. Those who were actuated by pride and love of distinction were thinking of themselves and of the reward they were to have rather than how they were to render back to God the gifts they had received. They would have no place in the kingdom of heaven for they were identified with the reigns of Satan. Now this is serious. And in, <clears throat> when we allow this kind of spirit to be developed in their games, it will be part of their lives. And it will show <clears throat> in their interactions with one another. <clears throat> Sorry, I thought I wanted to repeat it. Galatians 5, 19 to 21 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And the word their emulations <clears throat> is an effort to match or surpass a person or achievement, typically by imitating them. So you're trying to do what they're doing, but be better than them. Right In the original, the work in the Greek is an envious and contentious rivalry or jealousy. <clears throat> okay, now in Review Herald, um, March 25, 1928, W.E. Howell <clears throat> wrote this concerning the competitive games. There's, a kind of, uh, there's another kind of thing the world calls play namely the game. Though often used loosely, a game proper is a contest. The spirit of it is the spirit of competition, of beating the other fellow either by surprising him in exploit or by attaining the ultimate of putting him out of action. <coughs> it exalts the victor and humiliates the loser. While natural play now, see the difference, what the call calls play, but it's namely the game. And then he says, while natural play is an imitation of work. This artificial play represented in the game is an imitation of fight, an imitation of war. The spirit of natural play is the spirit of work. The spirit of the game is the spirit of war. If you notice a child without teaching them these games, naturally, what do they do? The girls will start wearing mom's shoes and they start act, uh, playing cooking and the guys start playing driving trucks. Why? Because naturally, they in their play are supposed to be learning how to be adults. And so they play being adults. And this is natural play. But these games have come and they bring an excitement and a, and, a, and a craving for something that was not meant to be. And it changes a lot how they um, act. There is a book called No Contest. It's, I can't remember who wrote it, but it's not a Christian. It's a, it's a sociologist studying society. And he studied how competition changed our society. 
and how people used to work in communities and help one another and at work, it was about working together to attain a goal. And then it became, because of the spirit in these games, became part of who they were. They were starting doing this at work and in other places. And it's all about now climbing the ladder and you're putting someone else down and there's no unity. And so there's less really accomplished, uh, but we see it as a good thing. And this spirit we have brought into our schools because other schools are doing it. And so we're looking at them thinking we're missing something. But let me tell you something, what I have observed. In our school, we still used to have a soccer ball and a basketball, even though we didn't do the competitive games. We, let, we thought, well, they can play ball. But some of these kids have learned the competitiveness, especially soccer, because we have a lot of people from South America, and they did not play it friendly. So a lot of times they were fighting and arguing with each other, and so I decided balls are gone. So we put the balls away, and their whole interactions with one another changed. Now they're helping each other. They, I mean, I didn't ha hear as much arguments and fights, and they're not uh, being nice, and none of this. They all stopped, and they started helping one another. Here, they, um, this is a little, um, a little hill that's behind our, uh, our playground. And they started going down the hill in this lid. It was a, uh, an old trash lid. And they used it as a slide, and they're sliding down there. They got me to do it, so you can see at the end there. And I, they kept saying, Mr. Sam, you got to do it. And I was like, no way, I'm doing that. But they finally convinced me. So I threw myself down there. Um, but what happened, some of the kids would go down, and then they couldn't go up. And so they started making a chain, as you can see here, to help the kids that couldn't go up to bring them up. Now before it was like, oh, now we have to stop this to come help you. Now it was something they liked to do and they were so happy that their friend made it up and now they can go down. Before it was like, they can go up, that means I can get down faster and I can do more times while they're trying to get up. You understand, a totally different attitude, totally different. Um, and so the question that, that is left to us is, will we believe? Will we believe God's ways or will we believe the world's way? In 1 Samuel 15, 7 it says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So we look at the outward appearance in the worldly schools, they're doing so well, we have to have that. But God is looking at the heart. And for him, he's not looking at how outwardly our schools are looking, but the heart of the school, right? Isaiah 55, eight and nine says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. <clears throat> oh, and this one I don't have the book either. MS 57, 1910. It says I it is. Manuscript. Is it manuscript releases? That might be manuscript releases 57. MS 57 is a, it's going to be found unpublished. Unpublished. Which is perfectly fine because you can still find it. Okay. Yeah, because I got it from the, the LMGY. Uh, site. And yeah, I usually write the name of the book on my notes, but I, I don't have it on my notes. <clears throat> but this is very important because when you do true education in a school, a lot of times we're looking at success by the number. And if we're looking at that, we're going to become discouraged. It is not the largest number of students, but the spiritual atmosphere that will prove the success of the school. And this is true about every ministry. The success of a church, the success of a health center, the success of whatever we do is not in the numbers. If we place importance in the numbers, we're going to compromise principles to please the people and bring them in. The problem is because we look at the outward appearance, you know how many people are so proud that our youth is in the church. They're lost, but they're in the church. But God doesn't see the many that are sitting there. He sees the ones that are saved. When we do true education, there might be less there, but they will be in the kingdom. And so what if you have a thousand and three will be in the kingdom out of that thousand, but you have your little 20 and 19 make it? That's success, but we don't see that because we can't see what's gonna happen later. We just have to trust God. So you cannot go by 
what you see. You have to do the right and leave the results with God. Some results you will see, others until we get to heaven, we won't see the results. But we have to trust that if we do God's way, there are, it's always success. In Testimonies, Volume 5, page 31, if you lower the standards in order to secure popularity and an increase of numbers and then make this increase a cause of rejoicing, you show great blindness. If numbers were evidence of success, Satan might climb the preeminence for this. For in this world, his followers are largely in the majority. It is the degree of moral power pervading the college that is a test of its prosperity. It is the virtue, intelligence, and piety of the people composing our churches, not their numbers, that should be a source of joy and thankfulness. Uh, Testimonies, volume 6, page 140 says, Obedience to every word of God is another condition of success. So it's not the numbers that gives us success, it's obedience to every word. Victories are not gained by ceremonies or display, but by simple obedience to the highest general, the Lord God of heaven. He who trusts in this leader will never know defeat. Defeat comes in depending on human methods, human inventions, and placing the divine secondary. Obedience was the lesson that the captain of the Lord's host sought to teach the vast armies of Israel. Obedience in things in which they could see no success. Obedience in things in which they could see no success. When there is obedience to the voice of our leader, Christ will conduct his battles in ways that will surprise the greatest powers of earth. In our last uh, slide, oops, sorry, not that one. 5T, um, volume, um, volume 5 of the Testimonies, page 137. We have wandered away from the old marks. Let us return. If the Lord be God, serve him. If Baal, serve him. Which side will you be on? Okay, so we're going to close with prayer, but I want to let you know, please don't leave without the handouts. They are here. And please take as many of these magazines as you can, the creation magazines. Uh, take nature and spiritual lessons out of them, and they are very high quality. Um, so take as many as you can. I want them gone. Um, and so we will close, and then I will let you go. Sorry, I took a little bit longer than I should. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're so thankful that in you we can always have success. Help us, dear Lord, have the faith that we need to trust in you and in your ways and to follow them regardless of whether we can see the success or not. And give us wisdom and understanding how to be students of true education and how to teach others uh, this system that will lead to salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.